0: Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a perceptive theme recorded live in Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. In this podcast, we feature three featured storytellers intermixed with a community story slam. It's time to come to your senses, literally, but also metaphorically. Our storytellers share stories inspired by the theme, taste. If you are licking your lips, it's probably because it's story time. Jason, 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 Jason Buckaloo! Hello everyone and welcome to the flagship premiere of 2022 23 I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. It is so wonderful to see you here for our making sense of it all. And our first sense that we will explore this evening is taste. Now, uh, normally, we do try to find some connection between our theme and our musicians, so uh, the way we're doing that with Jason here is that he very often, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he very often does play dinner music for people, uh, for instance, at the brickyard, right? I do, do, yes. But your real passion is the dueling pianos. That's That's a little different, isn't it?
1: That's my main thing, yeah. And can you just explain what dueling pianos is? Yeah, so think of a band, but, but replace the guitar players with just two pianos, and, and we cover all of the, of the parts that a normal band would, but we also take requests, and, and we like to battle back and forth like, hey, they like my song better than uh, your song that I'm playing right here. Oh, okay. It's, it's fun and... Cool. Well, we're, we're not going to do game. that tonight. We're
0: not going to do that tonight, we're no. We're not going <laughs> to battle. uh, Because I will always win. Uh, (laughs) This is my dinner jacket tonight. Uh, Some people say it's not in the best taste. But uh, you know, and also a few people are offended that I don't have a tie as well. uh, But I'd need some room for my Adam's apple. So we're going to let that go. I do feel uh, suspiciously like I should be introducing some kind of white tigers or something, though. Uh, <laughs> go to Vegas for the secret. Oh, my gosh, I don't even know how this happened, but the gods of Jump have made the lighting match my jacket. <laughs> that is incredible. I don't know. It just, these things, it's just amazing. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk about that right now. Uh, so taste, hmm, this, by the way, this dinner table is reserved for our storytellers, so I'm sorry, we're all full for tonight, except for the slammer stories, uh, which, as you know, you can fill out at the slammer booth right over there. If you have a story on taste, go up and sign your name and make your reservation, and perhaps we can feature you in our menu tonight. Uh, The story that I thought of with taste was um, back when I was living in a small apartment in Brooklyn where our dining room table was about this big around and I could reach the stove and the sink from the table and also reach my leftovers from the fridge, uh, all from that place, Uh, a very common breakfast for us was uh, grits uh, with an egg on top. And it was cheesy grits. Uh, as my cholesterol gets higher and higher, I, my grit consumption with the cheesy grits and the egg has gotten lower and lower. But uh, this was a this was the way we would start our day. With the um, our um, radiator was broken, and it was impossible somehow to get the super to get the right gauge on it. So I think we had a second floor gauge, and we were on the fifth floor. So uh, whenever the heat would come on, it would be this extraordinary loud and a cloud of steam would come out. So it was all very atmospheric sitting there eating our grits with the steam and the hiss surrounding us. But one day I took a bite of the grits and I was like, what did you do to the grits? Did you, uh, it, what kind of cheese is in this? I was like, oh, the same kind of cheese we always have. And I was like, no, this is disgusting. Like, whatever cheese, is this blue cheese? Like, it has like this real metal ting to it. It is so gross. No, 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 it's the normal, everything's fine. And the egg didn't even taste good. Like, it was just, all of it was bad. And I refused to believe that somebody didn't mess up the grits. And I don't cook, so it wasn't me. <laughs> Day moved on. And, you know, I finished my grits sort of begrudgingly and uh, continued through the day. And it got to lunchtime, and I went in and just grabbed, uh, like, some leftover Thai food and heated it up in the microwave and started munching on it. And it tasted exactly like the grits did earlier that day. Now, this is back many years ago, so we weren't concerned at that time about... Uh, losing taste because of a virus. This was just like, what's going on? Because I suddenly realized there's something wrong with my taste. I don't know how this is, but everything tastes the same and it happened all of a sudden. And I, was, I didn't know what to do, so I did what we all do and started Googling. Taste buds don't work. What's wrong? Why does everything taste like metal? My grits sucked. Uh, uh, that one brought up some interesting search items, which I, I don't recommend. Uh, and, and suddenly there came up this thing that said, are you having problems with your taste buds? And did you eat raw pine nuts from China? within the last 24 hours. And I fell off my bed because the night before, I had a salad with pine nuts on it. And I raced out to the kitchen, opened the cupboard, grabbed the pine nuts, and sure enough, on the sticker, Product of China! And they were raw! And I couldn't believe that something that I read on the internet was true. <laughs> so that really transformed my whole idea of, of information that you can find by Googling because I always kind of, ah, come on, you can't find anything, none of that's real. Like, it's not gonna lower your cholesterol. It's not, you're not gonna lose weight. Uh, that person is not representing the, the, what's actually happening. But here, lo and behold, here was something about taste, And what had happened to me that was written out right there on my screen uh, by some Google user number five, six, five. So that was amazing. Uh, It also gave me a new appreciation for taste because it's a it's a sense that I have just always kind of taken for granted and always relied on. I've never had to think about tasting and what things taste like. Uh, So uh, it's good. You know, I had experiences where I appreciated my eyes and appreciated my touch, and appreciated my smell, but that was really the time that I appreciated my taste. Now the other thing that uh, is often very common about this particular time of year is that I am often in some kind of theatrical production here in town, and this year is not an exception, so we thought we might give you a little taste of the production that we are cooking up over at the Visual Arts Collective with Alley Rep Theater. It's a little show called Cabaret. And it opens on December 8th. And I think you might be a little surprised about the role that I'm playing. Um, So I'm going to sing a a short bit from the show. Um, See if you can figure out which part is mine.
2: What good is sitting alone in your room. Come hear the music.
0: No, I'm just kidding. I'm not playing Sally Balls. That would be super fun, though. So actually, tonight I have invited my theatrical fiancé to join me on stage. Uh, Please welcome Liberty Leeds Clouch. Here she comes. Yes. And Jason was very gracious to accompany us on this song tonight. We just threw it together right before, the sh- right before you came in the door. And uh, we're still in rehearsal. We are going to be teching next week. And then we open the show. Um, and this song is not as famous as the little tidbit I just gave you a morsel of. Um, but uh, a bit. it's still a fun song in the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good oh. moment. Hello. We got, we got a live level over here. Am I live? La- there Hi, you are. I'm alive. You're alive. That's story, <laughs> story. Oh, but before we begin, I have something for you. <gasps> what?
3: It's like Christmas. If you brought me diamonds. If you brought me pearls. If you brought me roses like some other gents might bring to other girls, it couldn't please me more Send the gift I see. A pineapple for
2: me. If in your emotion you begin to sway,
0: work for some air or grab a chair to keep from
2: fainting straight away. It couldn't please me more than to see you clink to the
3: Ah, it's from California. Even so, how am I
4: to thank you?
0: Kindly let it pass.
4: Would you like a slice?
0: That might be nice, but frankly, it
2: would give me gas. Then we should
3: leave it here. There not to eat, but see a pineapple
2: for me, for me.
3: Not bring me any more pineapples. It is not proper. That is a gift that a young man would bring to his lady love. It makes me blush.
0: But there is no one, no one in all of Berlin more deserving. If I could, I would bring fill your entire room with pineapples. (gasps) A
2: A pineapple
0: Thank you, Liberty and Jason. (laughs) A little taste from Cabaret opening December 8th at Alirep.org. But now we want to get a little taste of your stories. Uh, She's sitting right over there. There you go. Uh, So structure of the show tonight is we do have three featured storytellers for you. Uh, One of them is not able to stay, so he will appear miraculously uh, to uh, tell his story, and then he will uh, disappear just like the pineapple. Uh, that's our theme tonight, disappearing pineapples. Secondary theme. So, uh, if you have a five-minute story inspired by the theme taste, uh, put your name in a little ticket and stick it in our saucepan over there. Make sure that it is your story, you're not signing somebody else up, because that leaves a sour taste in my mouth anyway. <laughs> and sometimes there's too. So in reverse order uh, for our storytellers tonight, uh, our last storyteller this evening wants you to taste her soul. Ashleen Gamel, please come to the stage. Here she comes. Yeah. And our second storyteller who will be appearing hopefully right in time for his story if we timed it right is a man of questionable taste that's matthew melton i'm particularly proud of that little byline you'll hopefully figure it out why uh, when he tells his story and first up to the microphone who will come directly up to the mic uh is the head chef of kin please welcome chris kamori (laughs)
5: Um, So, I have been working in restaurants for 20 years now. Um, So, my freshman year of college, I started as a dishwasher. And uh, now I'm a co-owner of a restaurant just across the street um, where I mostly do dishes still. (laughs) Um, I have created a lot of dishes in that time and tasted a lot of food. Um, but there is still a lot of room for me to grow. I still feel pretty young in it. And so when I do grow up, I want to cook like grandma. Um, so my grandmother's name is Kikuye. Uh, we call her Grandma Kay, and I'm pretty sure she is where I got my love of food. Um, it's kind of like a whole Komori family thing. Like we, our love language is food, so When we get together, we're kind of spread out all over the West Coast now, but when we get together and we're eating breakfast, we talk about lunch, and when we're eating lunch, we talk about dinner. (laughs) Dinner, we talk about breakfast or what we should have had for dinner. (laughs) And it's kind of always been that way. Um, But I don't have a ton of childhood memories, but many that I do have are centered around my grandmother's dining room table. Um, So one in particular, I lived in Surrey, which is a suburb kind of like half an hour south of Vancouver, BC. Um, we piled into our Ford Aerostar minivan, black one with the red pinstripes and the bucket seats. And we drove up, and I was playing Game Boy, and uh, made it to grandma's house and jumped out into the snow because it was Canada, and uh, or is still Canada. Uh, she had these manicured hedges. Um, no sidewalk, and we would just jump and, and then go on the stone path up to the door and steps running up. And there's these huge, ornate wooden doors, super heavy. And just, as a kid, you would just bang as hard as you could on it. Um, and the door would open, and there's Grandma Kay, all 4 foot 11 of her, slight hunch. And she would greet us and welcome us in. Um, she'd tell us to take our shoes off, and that the last dishes were just about ready. So um, she'd kind of shuffle off in her slippers into the kitchen. And we went down the hall to the dining room. And beautiful dining room carpeted, big oval table, nine chairs, four smiling faces already there. Those were my aunts and cousin. And dozens and dozens of dishes already on the table, like pretty much enough that you couldn't see the tablecloth underneath. And then you know, there were big ones with serving utensils. Uh, But most of them were really small with just a couple bites on them. Um, There was green bean gomai, which is like a sesame thing. There was miso soup with kamaboko, which is a little fish cake. Uh, There was this earthenware clay pot that she always used. I had like a fish glazed on top and she'd pick the lid up and the steam would billow out. This time it had root vegetables and chicken kind of simmered in dashi and you could kind of see the, the liquid still bubbling a little bit. Um, there was iceberg lettuce salad with shredded carrots because she was a grandma in the 80s. <laughs> and that's like a prerequisite for 80s grandmas, I think. Um, as far as actual taste bud tastes, there was sour from the tsukamono pickles, salt pretty intense salt from the little umeboshi. It's like a pickled plum. Bitterness from gobo, which is a burdock root, and like a sweet umami from miso broiled sablefish or black cod. Um, there were probably other dishes, um, but you know we dug in. We passed plates. And even as a little kid, um, one of my favorite things was to watch my family eat with their eyes closed. Um, still to this day, I love watching people do that. Um, so, as we ate, you know, plates would be cleared because they're, or emptied because they're so small, um, so many little tastes. And my grandma would get up and start clearing them and taking them to the kitchen. My parents would protest, like, you know, don't do that, you know. But my grandma would just waved her hand and did grandma things. She said, oh no, you sit, you sit, you sit. I'll take care of it. Um, So we sat, and we ate, and we finished, and we ate until our stomachs hurt. Um, But we would always get up and we we would tidy up and help, because uh, another Komori family mantra is that if you don't cook, you clean. And that is one that I would hope everyone does. (laughs) Um, So that night I was in charge of loading the dirty dishes, because as I mentioned before, the dishwasher is my spirit animal, <laughs> and I can't get away from it. Um, you know, so that was one memorable meal amongst a few that we had at my grandma's house. And one thing that always amazed me that what she could do is her her timing. Um, like the dishes were always just ready when we got there. And this is like way before cell phones, and she also made it look so effortless. Um, which now that I do it for a living, I realize she'd been cooking for days. Um, And it was always funny to watch her be surprised at her own cooking. And she would take a bite of something and just say, oh, that's pretty good, eh? It's like, oh, yeah. So I, I always saw that she enjoyed cooking. But it took me working a lot, and it took decades for me to realize that what she really loved was bringing people joy through food. And I think she actually saw that in me as well. Uh, so fast forward, and I was uh, had graduated college, and it was snow on the ground, and it was probably around Christmas. And um, I kind of I told her that I was changing course a bit. I I was planning to go to medical school, and so I was, like, took the MCATs and was doing the interview thing. And I realized within the process that I was lying to them, and I was lying to myself, and that I actually wanted to go to culinary school. Uh, but telling your family that you're not going to be a doctor and you're going to be a cook <laughs> is an uncomfortable conversation. But my grandma, she just smiled and replied, Oh, that's a good idea. Do you need money? <laughs> and I did. <laughs> uh, so actually, grandma loaned me enough money to get into culinary school and I was off from there. Um, so the following winter, not quite a year later, I was in Seattle uh, on an externship at a restaurant called Canlis. This kind of like Beautiful multi generational uh, fine dining restaurant, sort of nestled on top of Lake Union, if you've ever been to Seattle. And my first scheduled day was December 13th, 2007. And, you know, I I woke up, as you would expect, like nervous and anxious, but excited um, because it felt like I was about to cross over the next bridge of my life, you know, or my career at least. Um, and I was packing myself up, I was just about to catch a bus to, to head down there, and my phone rang, and it was my mom. And I, I kind of, like, they were on vacation at the time, and I thought that, um, you know, she was just going to wish me good luck. Um, but instead, she informed me that my father had passed away. Uh, very unexpectedly, I would say. Um, and all those nerves just numbed over a little bit. And I was melting into this like faded floral print couch and staring at this fireplace that just had like a lonely single log that was half burnt. And I didn't know anyone in Seattle, and I I had just moved there the day before. Um, So I went. and caught a, the next bus, and went down to the restaurant. And um, I met all the people, all, all the chefs, and I told them about the situation. And I said, you know, I'll, I gotta go take care of my family. I'll be, I'll be back, and I'll be anxious to learn, um, because that's what my father would want. Um, so I pretty much got on a plane and bounced around the continent a little bit, and. We ended up back in Vancouver. And after the memorial, we were back at my grandmother's house, Grandma Kay's house. You know, as to be expected, it was a little chaotic and blurry, but there was a moment where it was just her and me, and we were at inner dining room at the table that we shared all those memorable meals at. Um, and it was in that time that I realized that I had lost a dad but she had lost a son and there was a brief moment of silence before she did her grandma thing which was to say you know your father always loved salmon he loved his salmon loved his rice he loved his mochi cake and then she trailed off and she actually got up and went into the kitchen and she came back with a little ball of mochi wrapped in nori on a little plate, and she gave it to me. And I took it and I split it in half, but we both knew that we were sharing it three ways. And that's when I realized that my grandmother was bringing comfort through food as well. So that was 15 years ago. in two weeks, it'll be 15 years to the day. And, it, you know, it doesn't get too much easier. But I've learned a lot since then. I've it's been five or six cities. I've actually had 15 W2s in that time. Um, we got a lot of our crew here. That's not, don't be skipping restaurants like that. I have two beautiful kids of my own down here. You know, I've, I've, I've learned a lot. I've made a ton of mistakes, and I've had little successes dotted around in it. Um, there's a lot of sacrifices in restaurants. There's long hours, late nights. You're kind of working when everyone else is celebrating. Um, it is indeed a hard indus- industry to have a career in, and it gets harder as you get older. Isn't that right, Ramey? <laughs> He's way older than me. But whenever I have a hard time, I think back to those initial moments of food for me with my grandmother. And it's the why of why I love to do what I do. It's bringing joy and it's bringing comfort. And there's a lot more to love about restaurants as well. So this whole back row is kin and it's camaraderie. You know, it's, it's like a, a little pirate ship family. It's inside jokes and it's endless would-you-rathers. It's a lot of nights for me where they listen to nothing but Mariah Carey. (laughs) And then when they're sick of that, I play covers of Mariah Carey (laughs) that are terrible. I think at its best, a a restaurant is vivacious, I mean it's delicious, it tastes good. Um, It's thoughtful, and ultimately, it's selfless. Um, You know, there are some times where we can serve people, guests, and bring them the same joy that I had at my grandmother's table. And there are times when we can pick up our friends and comfort them when they feel low. You know, food and taste have that power. And so while I am... Not at her level yet. I'm trying. And when I eventually do grow up, I'm gonna be cooking like grandma. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Chris. You know, he said in his family, uh, food and cooking is uh, a language of love. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I think it's a part of the microphone. I hope it's not crucial. (laughs) Put it in the bag. Uh, Chris said that in his family, food and cooking are a language of love, and I can tell he's a really good cook because these two kids up here in the front row are adorable. Um, While I was getting the pineapple earlier today, uh, I picked up some other little taste sensations. So each storyteller tonight gets to put their hand in the grab bag and pull out a taste sensation. So we'll start with you, Chris. Now you can't, there's, uh, in addition to the edible things, there's now a piece of the microphone in there too. So you can't look inside. You just have to put your hand in and this will be a feature. Oh, there's another piece. Oh, he knows what it is, yeah. He can tell. He's gonna tell. Oh, congratulations. You got a celery root. (laughs) You'll find that it'll be on the menu uh, tomorrow night. (laughs) Celery root in an unexpected way. I also uh, didn't mention that uh, we're very grateful tonight that our season sponsor is the Shandro Group. So thank you, please help me in thanking them. And there's just a couple other people I'd like to recognize. We have one of the founders and the OG host of Story Story Night, Jessica Holmes, is out here somewhere. Jessica. There she is. (laughs) Way in the back corner. Also, one of the original board members, Bob Haycock, is here tonight. There he is. And one of our newer board members, Nathan Pittman, I think, is here tonight. Nathan? There he is. All right, he doesn't like to stand up. We won't make him. All right, we're going to start with our first featured slammer, so they're going to bring me the uh, saucepan tonight. It's a saucepan for a spot on our menu. Do you have any saucepan music, or uh, Mariah Carey, maybe? Name this this tune as soon as you know what it is. All right, here we go. Oh. Uh, Ben, you're very tall. I'm not sure you have to really raise it. I'm not sure if this has been trademarked or what's happening here. It looks like the name is Elise K.R. Uh, here comes someone, and I hope they're named Elise. Hi, Elise. Are you excited to put your hand in the grab bag of, oh, now, now I know what I broke on the microphone. <laughs> What I broke is the little knob that you turn in order to make this go up and down.
6: Yay! <laughs> hey, you put it down there. That works. Hi. Wow, My name is really
0: Elise. It's, we're still working
6: on it. We're working on it.
0: You know what? Let's go to this mic.
6: Hello? Oh. Okay, this okay, works.
0: Now you have five minutes. Okay. And it's inspired by the theme taste. Okay. All right. And this is a family audience, so you can't swear. I know. Or do any stories that are lewd or. Okay. All right. Okay.
6: Go okay. So my name is Elise. I'm 10 years old. And this is a story. We just moved to Idaho from Portland, Oregon. And this is when we still lived there. So. I was with one of my best friends, Matteo. We were both, I think probably eight or nine at the time, and our parents dragged us to a winery. We were not happy about it. We were like, "Are you kidding me? This is not fair. You guys So they gave us a snack plate from the winery and they like put a, like a like a picnic blanket down outside and this patio. We were the only ones there. and then we were in front of all those like, rows of um, grapes. The point is, we're eating our thing and I pick up my cracker and I eat it. And it tasted really, really bad. So I spit it out and I looked at it and I had eaten a bug. Um, Not that there's a problem with that, but I I didn't enjoy that. It happened twice after that. (laughs) And then after that, we went a bit crazy because um, So we were talking and something happened where something was funny. And then we saw these swifts in a flock, like flying around, probably 100, 200 of them, just flying around above our heads, circling. And we're like, God birds. So um, we went a bit crazy. We were like, for like probably a solid 10 minutes laughing about the God birds. (laughs) Um, We thought that was really funny. Our parents thought we were going crazy. But after that, we got the part we were waiting for and we went to a bakery. But before we went to the bakery, I went to the park and I climbed a tree. My friend couldn't get up, so I threw petals at her. But anyways, going on to the bakery, we went to the bakery and we both got these small mini key lime pies. They were like this big and they were so cute and they were really, really tasty. And we we're both about to grab them and they fell on the ground. So, we got more. They tasted pretty good. I think they tasted good. She wasn't sure about it because this was her first key lime pie, so I kind of put a sour patch kid on top of it because I'm not sure i i was I was nine ish i don't I don't remember. But I was kind of crazy. At that time. I think I also ate a flower petal when I was in the tree. I don't remember. Well. That was my story. The end.
0: Thank you, Elise. Okay, reach in and get your, tr- get your taste. Oh, okay. I think this is an art joke. Uh-huh. Try and find a good one. That's a potato. All right, an onion. an onion, and you got a poster too, thank you. And don't worry, Elise, I can't remember what happened last year either. All right. Uh, I almost feel like I was watching a Peanuts episode there. If we had a really talented animator, maybe we can get Julia Green, who's here tonight, uh, to animate that story for us. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next featured storyteller, oh, you remember, this is our guest who has to fly in and fly out. Uh, actually, right now, he's in a production of White Christmas at Boise Little Theater. Uh, oh, there we go. Congratulations. Uh, please welcome, let's see, I got to set this up for him. Please welcome a man with very questionable taste, Matthew Kelly Melton.
7: I didn't approve that. Questionable taste. I heard it when I was coming in though, how dare you. Yes, I'm sorry I can't stay. I do have to get back to rehearsal, actually. We're in between weeks for White Christmas at BLT. I hope you can come. Uh, we got three more weeks of it. We had some Christmas fans I heard in the audience, so that's great. The rest of you, that's fine. I get it. Uh, Okay. So I have always... One of my favorite treats, one of my favorite candies has always been red vines. I love the taste of red vines. Now, this is, a, this is a controversial, it's a hot take in 2022, I get it, because you're either Twizzlers or you're Red Vines and you're not both. And if you're Twizzlers, you're wrong. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but it, and it's always been even like a comfort food to me. Like when I moved out uh, to go to Boise State, my mom packed me and my, my roommates, like a big thing of food, like chips and ramen and whatever, but like three or four big bags of Red Vines on top that lasted, I don't know, a week probably. And uh, uh, so it's always just been a comforting food to me. And obviously, like going through COVID-19 and sorry, this is a COVID story. It's the world we live in. Going through COVID, right? We needed a lot of comfort. We were home, you know, and every Instacart order we would do or whatever, I would be sure to throw some red vines on there because it was just something, you know, something comforting. So we get to June of this, this year, June of summer of this year, my partner Aaron and I decide we've had enough of comfort. We would like some adventure. Please and thank you. We're vaccinated, we're boosted. The numbers are low, we're gonna go outside. We're gonna go to Las Vegas. Now I'm like, yeah, all right. Las Vegas, more Las Vegas fans than Christmas fans. That's weird, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it. Uh, we love Las Vegas. I'm like a medium gambling guy and Aaron likes to watch me lose so it kind of works out. But mostly what we go for is like the food and the shows, you know, steakhouses and italian restaurants and the best of anything that you could eat is probably to be found there. So we go. We buy some tickets. I'm like on apps and loyalty programs, so I managed to swing us some pretty cheap hotel nights at the Wynn Las Vegas, luxury hotel at the north end of the strip. So gorgeous, the best place I've ever stayed. So we get in like Sunday or er, Saturday evening, pretty tired. It's a long way from the airport the hotel room our hotel room was super nice so Aaron and I are like it's Saturday there's people out we want to be careful so we're going to go across the street grab some tacos and margaritas because you can do that in Las Vegas just take them with you and just walk around with them which was great I don't think they made it to the hotel room but we had them and we just chilled out like watched I don't know the Avengers or something on TV in our beautiful hotel room and went to bed Sunday was kind of the same just sort of hanging out chilling out Enjoying this beautiful hotel room and this beautiful view and all of this. So Sunday evening comes around. We're like an hour out from our first big reservation for food. And I start getting like the wicked chills. I just can't get warm. I crawl into under the bed. It's like 70 degrees in our hotel room or whatever. And I'm just, I'm freezing. We had the presence of mind to bring COVID tests. So I tell Aaron, I'm going to go take a COVID test and jump in the shower and get warm Just as a precaution, I'm sure it's nothing. So my skin is red. I can't, the hottest I can stand and I can't get warm. And that COVID test to swab the nose and I'm sitting on this gorgeous marble sink. And of course, everybody knows where this is going. I get out of the shower, I go look at that COVID test and it's the most positive test anybody's ever had. Like the Luxor light, you can see it from space, (laughs) this test. So I holler to Aaron in the other room, you should take a test. Uh, I have sorry news for the rest of our trip. And I did what any good millennial would do because I didn't know, I don't know that I would have known what to do here. I certainly didn't know what to do somewhere else. So as a good good millennial, I pull out my phone and I Google, what do Las Vegas COVID test positive? (laughs) And it's like, we know what you mean. Ding dong, here's the number for a nurse or whatever. And so I talked to a nurse at uh, Clark County District Health or whatever. Sets me up with like, okay, I'm sorry that happened. We've got this, we've got that. we will tell you what to do. I call downstairs, talk to the front desk. I tell them like, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm some idiot who came in with COVID from out of town. And here I am. And they like, Okay. Well, anybody that's not with your party you needs to leave. It was just the two of us. So that's fine. You can't leave at this point. If you want to order a room service, you can. We were kind of hungry. So we ordered like a basket of fries and a parfait and it was $40 because it's the win and why pay less, right? <laughs> so by this time, like, so they say, okay, call, call us in the morning, you, you can't leave your room. To illustrate the point, they brought somebody by, we heard them do it, they taped the door. <laughs> like, did you, when I was in high school, I was like a speech and debate kid so I would go on trips and like the chaperones would tape your door so if you, they, if you got out, they'd know it because you couldn't put it they did, they did that to us, grown people. They missed a big red X on the door, <laughs> I don't know. The scarlet letter, this, this room is cursed. And by this time, like COVID is a raging. I'm, I'm delirious, I'm feverish, it's brutal. Erin said she could see waves of heat coming off of me. Now, we ordered, we brought COVID tests, but we didn't bring a thermometer. I know I'm hot, I don't know how hot. And I don't know how hot you're supposed to get before you need to like call a doctor or something. But as a good millennial, I know there's an app for that. So I downloaded this like, super sketchy free thermometer app on my phone. And how it works is you put your thumb on the thing and it like tells you your temperature from your thumb. So I did it and I'm, I downloaded it on the Wi-Fi and I'd got, I've got it going and it's like scanning my thumb like this is an episode of CSI or something. And about halfway through, it's like going to tell me my temperature. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, you want to play Clash of Clans? (laughs) It's free on the App Store, you know. (laughs) Click here to download. I'm like, no dog, I want to know I need to go to the hospital. Thanks. And it comes back and it's like 103 or something. Like, serious town. And if you've had COVID, you know that first night is kind of a dark night of the soul. Like, I don't know what to expect. Division one college athletes drop dead grandpas who fought in the second world war and are a hundred years old get the sniffles you just don't know (laughs) obviously it turned out okay i'm still here uh we go you know sleep quote unquote through the night following morning comes and it's a literal and figurative blur because i'm still feverish of like canceling canceling flights canceling hotel rooms canceling reservations canceling show tickets cancel 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 call the front desk again they say, hey, you're checking out today, right? Yeah, well, I guess. I don't know where we're going, but we're not staying here. They're like, well, you can stay. If you, we'll cut you a deal. If you wanna, you're already here. If you want to stay, we'll let you stay. How much would it cost to stay at the Wynn? Oh, we got a great deal for you. $700 a night. What else you got? Because that's, that's more than our whole trip costs. What else you got? So he tells us, well, okay, there's this quarantine hotel. We can make a couple of calls, and we can take you to this quarantine hotel. And it's gonna be just fine. I'm like, well, I'm sick as a dog. I don't know what to do. I'm not getting on a flight. I'm not going to our other hotel. I guess we're going to this quarantine hotel. So we pack up all of our stuff, and we go, and there's a knock on our door at like noon when we're checking out, and there's these two giant dudes in suits and big black masks. And they basically perp walk us through the casino floor out to the parking lot where there's this old, like, 30-plus-year-old ambulance waiting for us. I I know what you're thinking, and I thought it was a little extreme as well. (laughs) I'm I'm ambulatory. I'm fine. But we sit on the little rails. You know, you sit sideways so the gurney can fit in there. And off we we go, and we go, and we go, and we go, and... The the weird thing about Las Vegas is like everything is huge. So like when you're like, oh, we're just going over there and you walk a half hour and it's like, oh, it's still over there. (laughs) So the wind is just getting smaller and smaller and smaller as we're, we're, but it's still, I can still see it. And we stop in, they finally come to a stop at this off highway witness protection looking (laughs) Arizona Charlies, they call it. We were at the Wind. now we're at Arizona Charlie's. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for making the trip all the way from Arizona for little old me. And it was, I mean, it was fine. It was clean, it was comfortable, it was whatever. And here's the rub, it was free. We didn't have to pay a dime. Aaron and I got three meals a day. I ended up, spoilers, I was there for like 10 days. And i didn't have to pay a dime. I think they just would rather you have a safe place to go than just wander the strip or whatever, which was, I guess, my plan B. I, I didn't really have, <laughs> I barely had a plan A. So here we are. So Aaron has food sensitivities, right? Gluten, soy, dairy. So they were like, well, we're going to bring you for, to for food, whatever we bring her, just to make it easier. And I'm like, fine, whatever. It's going to be a lot of salads. I'm fine with that. We actually eat pretty good. Tuesday evening rolls around. They bring us street tacos for dinner. It was great. Uh, we make an Instacart because there's a Walmart down the way and you bet your bottom dollar I got some red vines. (laughs) Of course I did. And like Gatorade and like whatever else. So it's evening. We're getting ready to go to bed. We've eaten dinner. I grab a couple of red vines before I brush my teeth and I take a big old chomp. And I can't taste a thing. (laughs) That sweet sort of plasticky red vine taste that I love and if you don't, you're wrong. I don't have it. So I tell Erin, grab one of those, another different one out of, the, out of the tray, and she's like, it tastes like a red vine. So I eat some nuts, I can't taste the nuts. I put a lime from dinner in my mouth and just take a big old bite, and it's sour, but I can't taste it. So now my taste is gone. Which was sort of the last sense I had, because we've got television, and it's like, do you wanna watch Die Hard 3 five times in a row in the morning? It's that or the weather. I mean, yes is the answer, obviously, but it's what I did anyway. But we can't go anywhere. We can't see anything. I can open the blinds and I can see the wind from where, and it's never been farther away than from this spot. But, uh, you know, it was a safe place. I ate a lot of salads that I can't taste straight up like Land Before Time just munching on twigs because I can't (laughs) taste the dressing. What's it? I don't know. It doesn't taste like anything. Aaron ends up being okay. Like, we're there a week. They hook us up with some antivirals, which was cool. I got the, I got the Trump treatment. They gave me the, the monoclonal antibodies. Some dude just came to our hotel room free of charge again, which was wild, and just got us. And then we watched Back to the Future Part 3 for, like, a half hour, and then he left. So Erin was fine. She had been sick recently, so we think she was okay. I put her back on a plane. I was there for another couple of days. I was testing. I was testing. Finally, I get a, a negative test. It's, like, Thursday, like, the following Thursday, so, like however many days, I think it's 10. I can finally go home. But I just got here, kind of, right? It seems ashamed, like what am I gonna do, go back to work on Friday and just be like, hey, I was just a non-person for a while and here I am. Like no, I'm gonna go, I have comps, more comp rooms, I'm gonna go back to the strip, why not? So I do. I went back to the wind for a night, and I, I did everything we were going to do. I swam, and I walked around, and I did all... And it was kind of like Kimmy Schmidt coming out of the bunker. Like, it's all still here. It's all still here. So we, so I get to do all of that, and I stay another night in another place, and I rest for the most of it because I'm still very weak, and eventually I get home, and eventually my taste did come back. Eventually. And I, I bought a box of red vines. Of course I did. And I, and I ate them, and I... I guess they taste, they taste the same, I guess. I've heard people say their, their taste never came back or, or it never came back quite the same. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if you can know if that's true, right? All I know is that I, it was still comforting to me to eat those red vines. So I guess I'm just gonna have to be okay with that, right? I don't know how I got sick. I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know if I did anything wrong. There's so much about all of this that we don't know. I don't know if red vines taste the same. I still enjoy eating them. I still do a lot, so I guess that's something. But I, I will say, it was just like being back in that dorm room, just in this weird, unfamiliar spot, and I still, I'm like, I still ate them when I couldn't taste them. I don't know. It was just a thing you did. I, so, uh The moral of that story is red vines are great, and you should eat them when you're feeling bad and you'll feel better. Bite the ends off and drink them like a straw. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Thank you, Matt. You see, that's what I meant by, oh, they're having a conversation. She'll, Sorry, you're not a part of this. Just so we're give her your notes, number. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's what I meant by questionable taste—that you weren't sure if you were still tasting the same red vine. That's See? very likely story. So tasteful. Likely story. All right, I know you got to get going, but thank you for yes, thank being here tonight. You for indulging me. Thank you Matthew all. Melton. Appreciate you. And uh, Matthew is also a story guide for Story Story Night. So when you sign up for a workshop. At Story Story, it's occasionally, uh, it'll be Matt who will be your story guide and maybe he brings red vines. I don't know. He might. Does he get an onion? Oh, no. He uh, he doesn't get an onion. Sorry. <laughs> we'll save it for somebody else. All right. I do want to actually bring up um, our other co-host for our late night series and just check in about what's going on over there. and. Uh, This, please welcome Beth Norton. Hey, hey. Hey. so I know you have a show coming up on December 13th, what you got cooking?
3: We have a theme, Um, it's a holiday not to be remembered.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And that's about it right now. We have a theme, (laughs) I do have a band but they don't have a name yet. Um, And I am looking for featured storytellers, so if anybody's interested in telling a a 10 to 12 minute story on a holiday that they don't want to remember, which I know sounds weird, but yeah, uh, come see me at intermission.
0: Oh, you'll be by the story booth?
3: Yeah, I'll be by the story booth. Thanks, Jody. (laughs) Perfect,
0: thank you. All right, if you got a story, now it's a story, a holiday not to remember, not to be remembered, not a holiday you don't remember, okay? That's an important, because we don't want to hear 10 minutes about the holiday you don't remember, okay? Uh, I just feel like I need to clarify that. Uh, although the late night audience is a little bit smarter. <laughs> not really, no, 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 that's not true. For me, the best way that you support Story Story Night on Giving Tuesday is by being here. So thank you very much to all of you for being here. However, if you do uh, want to support on Giving Tuesday, uh, the power of storytelling and you know and uh, the ability to produce shows like this and also the one that's at the Visual Arts Collective as the late night series, we do have something set up. Uh, you can text on your phone. Uh, If you want to do a one time gift, you can text story story to 44321. So you open up your message, you address it to 44321, and then your your message to that number is story story, one word. Or if you would like to be, uh, who here is a story subscriber? We have a round of applause for story subscribers. There, we got lots of them. Great. So that is a monthly support for Story Story Night and it includes tickets to all of our shows. So for instance, if you become a story subscriber, you can sign up to go to the show at the Vac for a holiday not to be remembered and then you can also get tickets to our show here at the end of the month site. And it's all the same price. You just sign up for the tickets that you want. And to do that, you can text 44321 and you text story sub all one word that stands for story subscriber. Story sub to 44321. And we appreciate that very much, and all of you that are already doing that. And some of you have been subscribers already for like a couple of years, which is amazing. Thank you so much for that. And our other support, of course, as I briefly mentioned, is from the Shandro Group. And the Shandro Group knows there is a difference between offering your employees insurance and benefits. From our first conversation to -to day-to-day benefits management, uh, do you have any insurance music? Uh. Good
2: neighbor, State Farm is there. Oh, no, that's
0: so wrong. Well, they're not a sponsor. I, no, I know. Oh, well, maybe they, maybe they use State Farm at Shandro Insurance. That might be one of your options. I don't know. Uh, they use data-driven and culture-focused methods for designing your benefits portfolio. We know no other program in a business can impact employees' financial, emotional, and physical well-being more than employee benefits. So thank you very much, the Shandro Group. And out in the lobby uh, at intermission, we also have the designer of our poster, Julia Green. She actually has been our graphic designer for a long time. All of the season season show posters, the postcards um, that you see, um, the designs online. And she has some gift wrap and holiday ornaments and stuff that you can check out in the lobby. So there's a lot to do. You can text to give. You can go visit Beth at the Story Slammer booth. And you can also go visit Julia Green out in the lobby, and we'll see you back here in about 10 minutes. Thank you. All right. We are going to start the second act of our show. And as people are settling, we're going to begin with a featured song from our guest musician, Jason Buckaroo, uh, who is going to play Sugar
5: Sugar. Yeah.
1: All right. So I thought long and hard about this because we have the taste theme. And so it's like, well, we could do a song about like cheeseburgers or something like anything like that. But then but then his story about the red vines was so compelling. And I know one of the number one ingredients that makes red vines so good is sugar. So here's a song called Sugar, Sugar. It might be a little bit of a different theme, but I hear.
2: Nah, sugar. Oh, honey, honey. You are my candy girl. And you got me wanting you. Oh, honey. Sugar, sugar, you are my candy girl, and you've got me wanting you. But I just can't believe the love and so loving you, because I just can't believe it's true. I just can't believe the wonder of this feeling, too. I just can't believe it's true. Oh, sugar ah oh, honey honey you are my candy girl and you got me wanting you oh honey oh sugar sugar you are my candy girl and you got me wanting you my papa when I kissed you, girl, I knew how sweet a kiss could be I knew how sweet a kiss could be Like the summer sunshine, pour your sweetness over me Pour your sweetness over me Whoa, oh oh, oh yeah, sugar on me, baby Whoa, pour your little sugar on me, honey I'm gonna make your life still sweet Hey, 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 pour your yeah, sugar on me yeah, whoa, sugar, bit, ah, ah, honey, honey. oh, uh, you are my candy girl, and you got me wanting you. Whoa, oh, oh, honey, well, sugar, sugar. You are my candy girl, whoa, and you got me wanting you.
1: song with a, maybe a little bit different meaning, but hey, the title, the title is what counts to that one, huh?
0: Jason, Jason Buckaloo. Thank, Thank you, you Jason. <laughs> and during the break, I have confirmed with the Shandro Group, they do not represent State Farms. So uh, please do not call with your driving insurance needs because uh, uh, operators are not standing by for that. All right, we're going to start our second act with a slammer and we've got a bunch of names cooking in that pot over there. So we're super excited to hear some more taste tasty stories. Oh. All right, looks like it's been simmering. Thank you very much. Ooh, ah. Whew. Oh my goodness, it is a story, story night studio showcase, because one of our other studio coaches, we're going to say, in fact she was just coaching a team for Slammer of the Year. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I can only imagine what this taste story will be, Patty O'Hara. And you're going to walk away with a tasty treat at the end.
3: That's why why I put my name in. I want that onion. (laughs) (laughs) I was a special child. (laughs) That's my story. (laughs) My son, on the other hand, was a very, very picky eater. He'd only eat things that were white, white rice, no nothing on it. Pasta, no sauce, no cheese, nothing. Uh, bread, white bread, nothing on it, very picky eater. But I, on the other hand, I was the total opposite. I was the kid, and this is, keep in mind, this is Wisconsin, and it's the you know late 50s, early 60s, but I was the kid that ate everything. I would eat the spinach that my mother served out of the can with, and she'd really, you know, make it gourmet with a little lemon juice on it. But I ate it. <laughs> stewed tomatoes with one of those stale bread cubes in it, and you let it soak in the stewed tomato juice. Oh, yeah, it's either a moan or an agreeing out there. But, and then you kind of get this slime, but I loved it. I lo- I, more, Mom, more liver, all kinds of liver, because it was affordable. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, it's, it's after dinner time too, but calves liver, that was the good stuff. Beef liver, a little cheaper. We got into chicken livers, broiled with some salt on it. I got up to like, you know, six at a meal or something. Uh, seconds, please. Meanwhile, my siblings are looking at me. Kevin and Sean are just appalled. They're They're sickened by watching me have seconds. I'm the youngest kid here. And of course, my mother is adoring me. Would you like more head cheese, honey? Oh, yes. She's, oh, my baby. Oh, I made you some special chicken livers. My dad's lutefisk, honey, a little second helping of the lutefisk. No, he didn't do that. (laughs) But he was severely Norwegian, but he didn't do lutefisk. So I would eat everything. I had siblings that hated me for it, but yet there was this respect. Wow, she's gonna eat that. (laughs) Wow, she wants more. And my mother, who, oh, my baby. And then there's my dad. I had a special place at the table. It was to his right, and his job was to turn me upside down when I choked on that food and shake me real good. My grandfather, a your throat, doctor, advised him that this is how you rid someone of food lodged in your throat you shake them real good and he did that until i was about five and then i got a little too big so then he just resorted to whacking me on the back this was pre-heimlich procedure and by the time i turned seven he got a little tired of that his back wasn't so good i think from turning me upside down and so was decided that I would get my tonsils out. That's what it is. It's obstructing all that food. No one said maybe she should chew it a little more. No, take her tonsils out. Seven years old, a traumatic experience, horrible. But it ended by my getting Mr. Potato Head, which I didn't eat. It was a real potato, but I didn't eat it. It was a wonderful gift. But something happened. There was that trauma of getting this, these tonsils out and that whole experience of feeling like you're going to be abandoned. But I woke up, and with taste. <laughs> One of the first meals they offered me after everything healed, after the farina and ice cream. Do you want more, Patty? No. Oh, ooh. <laughs> What's that? spinachy green f- taste thing in there and that spinach and I could taste the vinegar and the head cheese and the lye and the lutefisk and no again I didn't eat lutefisk I don't know where that comes from I just feel like I ate it I could suddenly taste and and, and but the thing that was very sad to me is not only did they take my tonsils but they took away by giving me taste I didn't have my siblings looking at me in awe anymore because I was kind of like them. No, I don't want any more of that. Carrots, ew, gross, you know, spinach in a bowl with juice. Ah. And my mother didn't adore me. Oh, honey, you want some more of this stuff? No, ew, gross. And my dad wasn't there to whack me on the back anymore because I wasn't shoveling food down anymore. I missed all that. So I guess it's kind of a situation where getting, having good taste wasn't necessarily a good thing.
0: <laughs> How do you get a poster? Thank you. And you get to select a little treat from the bag here for your taste. Yeah. Well, we already gave away the onion. Oh, you got an artichoke. Congratulations. You're welcome. Patty O'Hara. Uh, you know, I've been hearing a lot of pre COVID stories, but I think that's my first pre Heimlich story that I've heard. Uh, a lot of categories there. Uh, My mom also, well, is she here? No. (laughs) She was uh, not a great cook, not known for her cooking. Uh, One example of that is we had a um, split-entry house. My bedroom was in the bottom basement corner and the kitchen was in the top left corner opposite end of the house. And I was down there one day and I heard this huge explosion, like kapow! and I ran upstairs and there was egg everywhere. She had let her boiled eggs boil dry and they exploded. (laughs) Ironically or not, she also had decorated the entire dining room and kitchen with chicken wallpaper and chicken wire. Now, I don't encourage this, yes I do, but one of our storytellers brought me a gift. Now, I don't encourage this again, I want to say that, please don't bring me gifts. You can't bring me gifts. <laughs> so this mysterious concoction you'll have a better idea about after you hear her story. Please welcome for the first time to a Story Story Night stage, Ashleen, sorry. Ashleen <laughs> Gamble. Uh,
8: so, my name is Ashleen, and I am a bartender. And uh, whenever I have to describe to people uh, what makes a good bartender, I always talk about a margarita, right? Anybody can make a margarita. A margarita is lime juice, some orange liqueur, tequila, salt, bam <laughs> right? So what makes the difference between anybody who can throw together a margarita and a bartender? You know? right? And I always said I always say that a bartender is... Um, It's someone who can roll with the punches and make a margarita in any circumstance, right? So a bartender can produce a margarita with lime juice, orange liqueur, tequila, and salt. But they can also make one if all they have is lime wedges and Splenda. They can make one if all they have is like Mountain Dew and salt. They can make some with their coffee maker and Gatorade in a hotel room. You know, that is a bartender. Kind of like I guess you got to have the like the MacGyver skill, right? Um, but I kind of learned that you you have those things when you're approaching a cocktail or any type of drink or really any food, but there's there's something bigger than that, right? So uh, before I ever stepped foot behind a bar, I was like way overeducated. I had a degree in culinary arts and beverage management, and I realized that my superpowers were not in the kitchen. Like I was never gonna like, you know, blow people's minds with, you know, like with my BLT or whatever, <laughs> but... And I I don't know, it might have been, you know, because a lot of my coursework involved a lot of tasting, a lot of big analysis or whatever. Maybe, I I don't know, maybe I'd had a couple, but I really felt that my superpower was with drinks for some reason. Um, So, right, I I graduated in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I went out to the strip to get my first job, and it was like a little bit post-2008, and I couldn't get one, and it was really hard. And even when I ended up getting my first job, despite my education, um, it was just super hard. It was like uh, it, it was like pulling teeth just to get a gig anywhere. Um, since then, I've had about 18 bar gigs. I've you know been around the block, but probably for every bar position that I've managed to snag, I've been offered at least 10 cocktail server or hostess positions. Uh, after, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, after one particularly bad interview, um, I noticed that, you know, the person who interviewed me, they gave me their card and whatever, and I noticed this um, uh, accreditation after their name, Certified Specialist of Spirits, and I thought, well, I'm going to get one of those then, you know, <laughs> if I'm not educated enough for this, I'm going to get that, and it put me on this path of, like, all of this continued education. I just uh, did all of this, you know, I want to learn about, I want to learn more about wine. I want to learn more about spirits. All these things. And we have a few uh, industry events um, in the bartender world. And believe it or not, one of those events is a summer whiskey camp in Kentucky. (laughs) you have to apply, and they take bartenders from all over the world, and we take over an honest-to-goodness Lions Club summer camp, like, at 40 minutes outside of Louisville, Kentucky, and we just, we wear our Daisy Dukes, we get into shenanigans, uh, we have a lot of campfires, and they take us to all of the bourbon distilleries in that area, which is awesome! Uh, so. That had a profound experience on me. And when I came back, I could taste in a way that I just couldn't before. You know, before I went, you try some whiskey and you're like, it tastes like whiskey. Cool. Uh, And when I came back from that trip, you know, I could taste all of the things that had happened to me while I was at camp. You know, within, depending on what whiskey it was, I could taste the grass that grows at the distillery. I could taste, you know, the must and the smells and the yeast at the distillery. Um, I could taste, but they took us to a cooperage, uh, which is where they make the barrels, and it doesn't smell like wood or sawdust. It smells like a candy factory. It's like a giant marshmallow factory where they produce barrels for bourbon. It's so cool, right? So it was like this three-dimensional opening of how to taste, right? So this is all happening. I get back to Vegas, and I go to this class on bitters. and it's taught by one of my greatest heroes. Her name is Marina. She runs all the bar programs at the Wynn Las Vegas, right? And bitters have always been this sort of, like, mysterious, like, what is it? I don't know. Oh, my God. Um, And they're actually, like, not that complicated. So bitters are when you take two tinctures and you mix them together. If you do that, you've essentially created a bitters. What is a tincture? A tincture, everybody knows what a tincture is. Uh, the most common one we, we know of is vanilla extract. It's just an extract. Any edible flavor that you preserve in alcohol and have a very concentrated flavor is in Barsby called a tincture. So Marina assembled probably like 60 different tinctures for us so that we could make our own bitters. But she also challenged us to think a little bit bigger, like. Instead of saying, like, ooh, you know, this, like, ooh, mint and lime, and and that goes good together, and that's what I'm going to do, you could think bigger. You could think about an experience that you wanted to share, or a memory, or a feeling, or an intention, and you could pick flavors based off of that to create a taste, you know, something bigger than the sum of its parts, and this was hugely inspiring to me, so I made a bitters that tasted like camp. Um, And it was awesome. It completely changed, you know, like how I perceive taste, right? Like I took, I, I was really honest about the experience. So I built bitters off of like whiskey and marshmallow, like really happy flavors. But then there was also like chili pepper and like smoke and like, I don't even know what it was, but it reminded me of motor oil. So I threw some of that in there and some banana peels, and on paper, the list of ingredients would seem terrible. But if you tasted it and you were willing to be open to that taste, not just the flavors, you really would get the overall vibe of how it was to be at camp and what that experience was like. So this led me down an even farther rabbit hole, right? (laughs) This is like my bartender master class, I don't know, master class experience or whatever. Um, And I was like, wow, well, if this is what happens when you have like 20 tinctures, like what are all the flavors like, right? So bit by bit, every week, I would just go to the store, get a case of mason jars, I would pick out Ten or 12 flavors that I thought looked good that I was curious about, and I'd get a handle of cheap vodka, and I'd dump it on there, and I would make my tinctures. And little by little, I amassed this epic flavor library. I had like, something like 600 tinctures. Uh, yeah, and it was good, it was good. I highly recommend it, you know, if you have some spare time. It taught me a lot. <laughs> It's taught me a lot. Like, some flavors are better as perfumes. Some flavors are better for your palate. Um, don't make avocado tincture, it's really bad. <laughs> like, a lot of things like that. Um, and it occurred to me you know, when we, when we go to an art gallery and we look at a painting, we don't just say, hey, there's some, there's some green, there's some blue. All right, cool buddy, you know, like like we, we look at the painting and we see a composition, we see a full picture. But for some reason, with food and drink, that's what we do, we're like, oh, you know, here's a strawberry, here's a lemon. Okay, on to the next thing, whatever. But if we really want to taste, we can step back. And, and if we kind of let our brains occupy a bigger space when we are tasting, we can see that flavors are kind of like paints, and we can use them to make a greater overall composition, and we can create anything that we want with any kind of intent that we want. We can time travel, we can tell stories, we can make, you know, really big, esoteric, multiverse-type concepts, or whatever. Uh, and we can do it in the most fun way, I think, which is with something that we can eat and drink. So. I figure all this out, and I'm like, Whoa. and like, it's a lot, right? And and I'm doing my little thing, and I'm getting really amped up, and I'm maybe like, i maybe like, you know, seven or eight bars in in my career, and uh, I'm in I'm in this competition that takes place over a week. It's like five mini competitions with eliminations along the way, and I make it in the top three for this best bartender in Vegas competition, right? Awesome. And this is when I meet this lovely, lovely human being. For the first time, she had just come off winning a world title, and her name is Kate Gerwin. And Kate was a judge there, and I crushed that final. It was so, like, we we all had to make three drinks, and uh, Kate took me aside. She told me I made the other bartender's drinks better than they made them. And I made a very, I'm very proud of, I made a really, really nice strawberry lemon tonic for my cocktail that evening. And she said, and she's a master of Somali, mind you, but she said that was the best tonic she had ever tasted in her life. And then she told me, you need to keep going. And I was kind of confused because I was having a great time, but she said, you need to keep going because you're going to run up against a lot of walls and people are not gonna understand what you're doing, and people are not going to understand flavor at this level, right? But you need to keep going because when people do get it, I mean, that's something worth sharing. And so I didn't didn't win that evening. I came in third place out of third. <laughs> out of three, I mean. Um, but that meant a huge deal to me. At that time, for, for someone like that to say that to me, it meant a lot. And so I kept going, and I kept going. And uh, flash, flash forward, I am in, in Toronto filming this show that I find out later is gonna be on Netflix. Uh, and Kate Gerwin is there too, which is rad. Um, and it's this, like, Top Chef-style drink competition, and they, uh, challenge one, make a margarita, right? (laughs) So this is my chance, this is my chance. So I, I try, I try my spirit, and I take my notes, you know, and I'm like, I write down the flavors that I get, right? I'm like, okay, there's some smoke, it's a little vegetal, there's an earthiness, there's a little bit of sourness, right? And then I write down what I think mechanically, like what it would go with, kind of what flavors I wanna get. And then I think about what is the taste? What is the intention and what is the bigger picture that I wanna make here? And, it was banana pants there right? It was it was chaotic and very stressful and we were all really tired and it was just it was a whole lot of chaos and what I what I was wanting was just just a deep breath just to feel peace for a moment to feel like it's all going to be okay and like let's just have like a really calm positive moment and I wanted the judges, the people who are gonna be drinking this drink to feel just like they had a warm, snuggly blanket all over them and they were getting a big hug from the agave spirits and, and it sounds silly, right? But, <laughs> but this was is, this is the difference between picking out flavors and making a margarita and creating the taste of a margarita. That's it
0: <laughs> I have to confess: a lie) <laughs> I put an avocado on top. (laughs) Thank you so much. And you know what was super fun? Uh, I was watching Drink Masters the other night because in preparation for tonight's show, I've been following uh, Ashleen in the competition. And one thing that's super cool is every time she comes on the screen, it says, Boise, Idaho. (laughs) So, like, we're represented all over the world, yeah. And uh, the three of us just did an interview on Idaho Matters uh, a couple days. Was that two days ago or yesterday? I don't remember. Yesterday. And I had mentioned that I had just seen the episode where Ashleen made this amazing cocktail with licorice root that was featuring licorice root. And um, that's what's in that jar. Uh, I just saw it on TV, on Netflix, and now it's gonna be in my room over a cup of ice. She also said, though, to burn uh, cinnamon over it like incense, which sounds a little sophisticated for me. I, I'm not sure. I, I think all I have is um, ground cinnamon, so I don't, <laughs> like flour, I could like flash it with, it sounds really dangerous. I, <laughs> if there's a fire tonight, Over by the Boise River, it's my house, burning down. Uh, I forgot to mention, speaking of burning down, uh, the Slammer booth is about to burn me down because I forgot to tell our Slammers previously, if you have not, uh, Patty and Elise, uh, Elise's parental unit, uh, (laughs) there is a release for you to sign at the booth so we can include your story in our podcast. Uh, It's already been taken care of. Awesome, that's great. So let's bring that saucepan back over here and get another Slammer. So exciting these taste stories. Okay, don't get too excited about okay, all right. Here we go. It's gonna be Liz Dunstan. Liz! Here she comes! Oh, I was gonna say, sorry Liz, take your time. Uh, I was gonna say that I just noticed your shoes, uh, James. Do you see his shoes? Can you see them? Oh gosh. They're so shiny, yeah. I need them with my jacket. We could be like a tincture. <laughs> Come on over. All right, you've got five minutes. Don't shock anyone with uh, you know, anything that's too seedy. I'll time you when you're running out of time, I will just creep behind you. Ooh, and, sparkles. Yeah, you'll see glitter start. It's already, Oliver.
4: Yeah. It's really nice.
0: Gosh, I hope we don't get a cleaning fee for that. Okay.
4: It's worth it. Hi, I had already given up that I was going to be picked and <laughs> here I am. So, I already titled this a walk through taste. Um, because walking and tasting can happen at the same time. Uh, This experience, which I've been totally inspired by the two people who told their stories, um, this experience takes place in New York City. That's where I grew up, and that's where if you walk through the streets, you will taste the smells, before you even eat them. Um, the the first waft as I've walked through my childhood city um, is the honey roasted cashews that are being sold by the um, street cart vendors. I don't know if they still do that. I haven't been back very often, but that was what they would sell. And that is what I would smell and taste. I do have it on good authority that smell and taste do not always go hand in hand from a friend from New York who does not have a sense of smell from childhood, from birth. But she can taste. So isn't that interesting? these lights are brighter than I expected. <laughs> uh, the taste of New York City street comes also with sound, and so it's amazing how all of our senses connect when we are walking through an experience. Um, the sounds of honking and talking and clacking and walking sounds, uh, as long a- along with feeling the literal taste of the sugar that they use on the cashews practically sticking to my skin. So there's a I I probably should do every week uh, because I've got taste and smell and touch and uh, just kidding. Um, The next experience would be after you've had the hors d'oeuvre, you know, the pre-meal of the smell and taste of honey roasted cashews, delicious. It would be the hot dog vendors that are just a few steps away. You're walking maybe really fast because it's New York City and that's how we roll. to the train station, but you can't help but smell the hot dogs, and it's as though that smell becomes the taste that I can taste before I even go and purchase one. Um, Oh man, and does texture go with taste? That's a question that I have because I love texture and taste together. If I imagine a hot dog, I imagine their soft bun that like, Squish, the chewy. My husband knows I'm about texture. Sometimes I don't crave taste, I crave texture. So that chew, I want something chewy. I'm there, I'm walking, I have to grab the hot dog, right? And then there's the ketchup and the mustard. Oh, but wait, it's New York City. So right next to that, you have knishes. Does anybody know what a knish is? No, you're missing out because knishes are basically like wrapped, I don't think they're even wrapped. I don't know how they get the outer coating on the potato. Do you know what a knish is? No, we're going to have to talk. It's your next big thing. It is just like potato with a I don't know, it's not a skin of a potato, but it gets this outer coating that's just chewy and salty. And then there's like flavors. It's a, um, my guess is it's a Jewish thing. And you put mustard inside. And then, so you can't miss the pizza. Please don't miss the pizza if you go to New York City. The salty, the sweet, the chew, the crunch of the crust. And it has bubbles in it. You can't find that here. I can give you a recommendation of a restaurant if you find me later that there is one here that tastes like New York City. It doesn't look like New York City pizza, but it tastes like it. And when I found it when I first moved out here 12 years ago, I was in heaven with the taste of my home. And New York City pizza has all different kinds of pizza. So dates with dad were salad pizza at Jack's Pizzeria. And then, I mean, honestly, I like a good, uh uh-oh, he's sparkling coming to me. (laughs) I like a good pizza. (laughs) But what I want to leave is that taste and smell and chew and bite and and sticky. All of that goes together and I just think it's beautiful just like cultures go together so beautifully yet can be so different. Thanks.
0: you take your pair right over there to the slammer booth and the pair of you can sign that release form (laughs) oh you took me back to new york oh yes the sights and sounds and smells Um, one taste that i am not sad to leave behind is the taste of my bikram yoga room in brooklyn which is the taste of sweaty carpet because It's 104 degrees in there, but it's carpeted. I don't know (laughs) why. And one thing they're still talking about is my partner is Swedish, and the two of us would go to this Bikram yoga class. And it was this time of year, uh, actually December, on Fifth Avenue and it's so hot, the class is 90 minutes, and as soon as the class, we're wearing Speedos, because you wear basically nothing in that class to to try to survive, and as soon as the class ended, it had snowed, he ran out the door, crossed the sidewalk, and jumped into a pile of snow on the side of the street, and there were people in full hijab walking down the sidewalk, and they're still talking about it today. All right, can we get that saucepan up here? Are we multitasking, or we can, yeah. Here comes my tall friend with the saucepan of Oh, that's very good ambulatory music. It's not really a compliment for a pianist, is it? Like, your music is so ambulatory. Yeah, no, okay, thank you. Oh, well, how low can you go? All right. All right, next up we have Gwen Chapman. Gwen, you're next up on our stage with your story of taste, which means everyone has a tasteful story. Oh, Gwen has a very nice looking hat. And I think, are those leg warmers? Do those classify as leg warmers? They're socks. They're socks? They're socks with holes on both ends? I think that's a leg warmer.
9: (laughs) I was raised by a woman with very good taste. Uh, She was born in East Texas, she married a very smart oil engineer, and they moved to Europe. She had her first child in Singapore, came back to Texas, and had three more children. They couldn't afford to live in North Dallas, but they could afford to commute their kids to the private schools there. When I was about 12, probably, on some escapade to New Mexico, she brings back green chili stew. And she's determined to make it our new homemade family food. It's so spicy. She's from Texas. There's cumin in it. There's a can of tomatoes. There's poblanas and jalapeno and green chili. After you get past the heat of it, it's delicious and wonderful and warms you up every time she makes it. About 12 years later, they moved to New Mexico. She now lives on the side of a mountain. She has a view of the monsoons that come through every day in a place called the Enchanted Circle. And this is where I meet my best friend, uh, Ramsey. And we have lots of stories and lots of stories that we don't tell our mothers. (laughs) Uh, But then eventually, Ramsey and I move from our small mountain town back to Albuquerque to finish up school. And this is where I meet her mother, who also has exceptional taste. Wisa's ex-husband was a pilot for R.C. Gorman, and her home has three original R.C. Gormans in it, hand-blown glass lamps, beautiful white furniture, like auxiliary art in the basement where me and her daughter are crashing till we find a house to live in there. And so she also teaches me how to make green chili stew. The green chili stew is different. It doesn't have as much cumin in it because cumin is more popular the further south in Texas and Mexico you get. In the north of New Mexico, it's not. There isn't jalapeno or poblano in her stew, and you only make it when the green chili is in season. Green chili grows all the way from Hatch, New Mexico up to Pueblo, Colorado. And that is Norte Espana. And Texas is Tejas, and it is all once Mexico. And in the north of New Mexico, the pignon keeps growing. And in Tejas, things constantly change, and economy changes. But it is still Mexico. Uh, My green chili stew, the last time I made it, was in my parents' kitchen. In a room painted the colors of the monsoons so that when the monsoons come in you are in the same color of the cloud and it was the day after I attended my best friend's mother's funeral in Albuquerque and I made green chili stew for my mother and father and my father ate it and said that was delicious it's the best green chili stew I've ever had so That's my green chili stew that I learned from the two women who raised me and my best friend who have exceptional taste.
0: Wow. Chills. Chills. How did that happen? She looked. All right, let's get one more slammer to close out our evening. Bring us that saucepan of stories. What a fun travel of taste we have had tonight. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm I might have to have a second dinner when I get home. Okay. Here we go. This is, maybe this is dessert. A sweet story? Is it a sweet story? Eric Jankowski. Welcome back, Eric.
10: When I'm in the code, everything else evaporates. It's just me and math, and the keyboard, and the tippy-tap to change the shape of those ideas so that we can program some simulations to help us solve climate change. I'm a postdoc, and that means I am one baby step away from becoming a professor. The dream that I've had for 20 years, and it means I'm mentoring graduate students, it means I'm typing at computers, and it means that um, uh, everything is incredible. It's bliss working on these simulations in Colorado until a graduate student comes and taps me on the shoulder and I don't have time for this. I'm supposed to be writing code. I'm supposed to be writing applications for faculty positions and I swivel around and she's crying. And she says that she feels like she's being pitted against the other graduate students in the lab and she's super stressed out and she's thinking about quitting we can't have this in our lab. My advisor and I were putting together this incredible team of students that are going to change science, which is incredible, and she's this tiny Indian woman, and we've connected over elevated vegetarian cuisine, and she confides in me about the assholes in the department who are like um, uh, interrupting her in department meetings and are uh, second-guessing all the decisions that she makes. She hates these guys, and so I figure, okay, we've gotta get this student to graduate, and we've got to keep these people in science. And so I'm going to go to her office, and I'm going to explain the situation. And when I sit down and I say, listen, I think that uh, if we just make the students a little bit more collaborative and make the lab a little less competitive, um, everyone's going to be a little bit happier. There's going to be less crying. There's going to be more science, more paper writing. (laughs) And everybody's going to get what they want. And She stands up over her desk and gets in my face and says, you want to tell me how to do my job? I can fire you tomorrow. And I freeze. And I'm afraid that I've just wasted the last 12 years of my life, because if I don't have my advisor's letter of recommendation, there's no way that I can get a job. And so I say, I understand but I don't, and I back out of there. I hop on my bike, and I start riding home to make dinner for my wife, who's got two broken arms. And I'm sprinting to the bus at the Table Mesa bus stop in Boulder, Colorado, so that I'm not late, and I see the bus lurch forward uh, a couple of blocks away, And I start sprinting and there's these little pebbles that are like pelting my arms and my face. And uh, I'm a pretty good bike mechanic and there's supposed to be a fender on my bike and it's still there, so why are there pedals pelting my body? And I look at the pebbles and they are moving on my arms. They are not pedals. They are bees. I am riding my bicycle through a swarm of bees and I don't have time for this. Um, So I sprint in front of the bus driver and I wave to get them to stop and I'm so grateful that the bus stops. They let me on with my bike and everything and I collapse into the seat and the sound of the air brakes hissing is what wakes up all of the bees and it's pandemonium. I'm like, a black mirror Oprah who's like, you get a bee, and you get some bees, and you get some bees, and there are children that are crying, the parents are screaming, and the, the, the driver of the bus is like pawing at those tiny little windows that are just for decoration They don't actually open up, and he finally opens the door, and the bees fly away, and I'm so thankful that it was just this momentary panic, and that nobody got hurt, and that everybody was fine, And I got the taste of this relief that I just wish that I could feel with my advisor. And I thought about all of the things that I had ignored to bring a bunch of bees onto the bus. And I thought about all of the privileges that I had taken for granted, where I didn't have to worry about the bees because I'm not allergic. And as a part Asian, part white guy in engineering, I can expect to walk into a department meeting and have people listen to me. But when I walked into her office, I had released the bees, and she was allergic. And now, as a tenured professor, I think a lot about how urgent it feels that we use the privilege that we do have to make the work that we do together the learning that we do together and the growing that we do together feel safe and we can do so without being afraid. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to see the storytellers in addition to hearing them, This entire show is available on the Story Story Night YouTube channel. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, and our season sponsor, The Shandro Group. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Have a story? Call the Storyline at 208-917-1970 and leave a message. Please subscribe to Story Story Night on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. Find out how to participate in our live show at storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.